We are uh, in the midst of a series of messages this summer called The Dog Days of Summer. And uh, as we've sort of been working our way through this series, it's really just a metaphor for understanding our own calling as Christians and what that means, uh, sort of our call to develop and mature uh, as children of God and, and sort of using the, the idea of getting a new dog and everything you have to go through in that process to uh, um, get that dog to be a, a, the part of the family that you want him or her to be. And uh, so today we come to this idea of walking the dog, of exercising our faith, of putting into practice um, this strange spiritual deposit that has been placed within us that um, works differently from the rest of life and the rest of the world. And so um, we want to take a look, I'm gonna, I want to take a look at the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah um, and just sort of give you a little bit of background. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't do this on purpose, Cody, but if you can't relate to this passage, then I don't know what's wrong with you, man. Because it's about, it's about a, a people who have been displaced from their home. And they've been shipped off to somewhere that they didn't choose to go. Okay? You with me? And um, <clears throat> they don't know what to do. Um, you know, they don't know whether to be mad about it or bitter, or resistant, um, and I think you'll hear God speak into that um, void, if you will, in this passage, but this group of people, uh, Israel has a point in history when Israel has been invaded by Babylon, all of their uh, worthwhile intelligence, um, craftsmen, you'll see all that listed in here, have been carted off to a foreign country, and they are being literally mined for what they know. And Israel has been left in a state of disarray and and, uh, despair, really. And there are some prophets who have gone to Babylon, who've been taken to Babylon, and others who've been left behind. And we're kind of reading through some of those exchanges over the past few weeks. Uh, And this one is from Jeremiah, written from the perspective of one who is in Jerusalem and writing to those who've been taken away. And so I want you to engage this passage with me and just ask yourself, what does this call out of me in terms of my faith? What is God saying he wants me to do with my faith in circumstances that may not be those I have chosen, if you will? So... Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Saphon and Ganariah, Gemariah, excuse me, the son of Hilkiah, 
whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, You will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So when it comes to the exercise of our faith, here's the the basic idea that I think Jeremiah is sort of driving home in this passage. Um, it, It goes like this. Faith matters the most when God has you where you don't want to be. Faith matters the most when God has you exactly where you don't want to be. Whatever that is, how un- however uncomfortable, unpleasant, um, distasteful, inconvenient, those are the times when our faith comes into play and, and counts the most. Um, you know, It is, um, I guess, easier to be a good Christian, quote-unquote, when everything's going your way, right? And you can say uh, stuff like, oh, the Lord is so good, isn't he? I'm so blessed, which is always true. Um, But then when things happen that are beyond your control that take you into places in life where you really would rather not be, those are the times where faith counts the most. Where this this stuff that God has deposited within us comes to life in in new ways often, in different ways, and but I guess in important ways is probably the best way to say it. 
And we are called to be people who, who activate our faith when it's needed the most, who engage our faith when it's needed the most. You might even say, that's why it's there. That's why God put this gift within us, so that when we, when everything else sort of falls away, we have that which is not of this world at work within us to give shape to who we are and to how we live. So what do we do when we are in places in life where we don't want to be? Well, the first thing that Jeremiah reminds us of in this passage is that we are to turn to God in the midst of whatever circumstance it is that we would rather not be in. We're to turn to God. Um, A couple of things in this passage that are remarkable. Um, One, we're to recognize that God is sovereign. What does that mean? It means that God is in control. Um, And you'll notice, like, Jeremiah gives this, this litany of people who have been sucked out of Israel and taken into captivity. And, and then he says in verse 4, if I recall correctly, um, the God of, from the God of Israel to all the exiles whom, ha, whom I have sent. Did you catch that? He doesn't say to all the people who were captured and taken away against my will. God says, this is to all the people that I have allowed this to happen to. This is for all the people that are in circumstances that they would rather not be in, that I have ordained in my will should come to pass. Um, That is a very... strong statement and a good beginning point for us, I think, to recognize that no matter what happens, God is still in control. And it doesn't mean we, you know, theology parses this out in a variety of ways, but we, we don't believe that God does evil, that God does harm, if you will, okay? But there will be things that we will perceive as harmful or bad or difficult or unpleasant that God does allow to transpire within the scope of his sovereign will. And so when those circumstances play out, um, we are to recognize that he is sovereign, that he has allowed this unfortunate situation to come to pass. And as it also says in verse 4, that he will speak into our circumstances, however unpleasant or difficult they may be. That God is in control and that he will speak into our context. He will call out to us something of his love and grace and promise and faith and hope in the midst of our struggle. So we turn to God by recognizing his sovereignty and this is, the, this is the point in the passage where um, I feel like a motivational speaker rather than a pastor, right? So you're going to hear it, and you probably already heard it in the words that, that Jeremiah wrote. But 
as we recognize that God is sovereign, we're also called to make the best of our circumstances. To look at these places in life where we wind up where we would rather not be and ask the question, what can I do to contribute here? What, what is God calling out of me? And so you have this band of people who've been taken into captivity and their temptation would be to not share their knowledge, not share their skill base, not try to help to advance the kingdom that has done all these awful things to them, right? And so they might be resistant or bitter or angry or just passively aggressive in their resistance to this conquering power. And God says, no. No, this is my will. And what I want from you is to engage life right where it is in front of you. And so build houses, plant gardens, have children, um, engage life fully. Be fruitful, if you will. Make the best of your situation. Seek to better your surroundings. Whatever surroundings or context that might be, um, where can you invest yourself? Even in those places and times in life where you'd rather not be there. Um, what can you do to reflect the character and nature of God in that circumstance? And then he says something very interesting um, he says, don't get distracted. Uh, those verses in verses 8 and 9, um, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And what he's, what he's referring to there is there are all these people among the exiles who are saying things like, um, you know, we need to resist this corrupt government. We need to, um, you know, undermine the well-being of Babylon. We need to whatever. And Jeremiah is used by God to write to, this, to his people and say, no, you don't. We're already undermining Babylon because we're advancing grace and kindness and good and health in their context. They brought the gospel to their own circumstance, to their own context, and we're going to live it out before them. We're not going to fight them. We're going to win them through love, through being the opposite of what they might expect. And don't get distracted by those who would detract from the call that is before you to be reflective of the nature of God no matter where you are. Don't be tempted to uh, become bitter or angry or despaired. <clears throat> you know, and I, I think Jeremiah is, is speaking into a context where the temptation would be toward 
sort of a, a hardened negativity. Just, you know, this is terrible. Um, we've been defeated. Uh, we're going to hate these people. And God says, no, you're not. That's not the ethic of my kingdom. For you to, to try to return insult with insult. Uh, forgive. Love. Demonstrate grace in whatever context you find yourself, however unpleasant it may be. So we're to turn to God in the midst of those circumstances we don't want to be in. And we're to trust God in the midst of those circumstances we don't want to be in. Trust is a um, dangerous word, right? Do we trust well? Do we trust easily? Do we trust at all? You know, trust but verify, isn't that the expression? Um, what's that? Trust everybody but cut the cards when you're playing poker. There you go. Um, God looks at us and says, you will be in places in life you don't want to be in. And when those places come, trust me. And there's two directions that we're pointed to in these verses, 10 and 11. We're, we're called to trust in or depend on God's word. For thus says the Lord, those few simple words, God has spoken into our lives through this book. And we are to engage what is here. We're to open it and we're to open ourselves really to what it says so that no matter what we're going through, we have something to which we can turn that is eternal and fixed, unchanging, solid, and dependable. And so we're to depend on his word. And Jeremiah reminds us that God always follows through on his word. He always keeps or fulfills his promises. He's always faithful to what he has said to us in his word. He never changes. He never changes his mind. He never um, makes mistakes. He never overlooks anything. Um, he has great attention to the fulfillment of his word, the fulfillment of his promises. And so we have a God in whom we can trust, Jeremiah reminds us, no matter what circumstances we may find ourselves in in life we can depend upon his word and we can count on his will this whole um, expression of God's voice to his people through Jeremiah is a reminder that all of life always in, in the hands of God all of our circumstances, no matter how unpleasant, untimely, unseemly, or what have you, will be worked towards good. It always works towards good in the hands of God, no matter how dark the day may seem. 
And God's will not only works towards good in our lives, but it always fulfills our hopes. Verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. That hope never comes the way we want it to. We don't arrive at that place of true spiritual hope through, well, by following the yellow brick road. It's always through the forest and through the fire, if you will, that God's will is found. And at the end of that trail is the hope eternal that stands before us in Jesus Christ. And I'll just say this. You know, Jeremiah um, basically says to God's people, I'm bringing you back. I'm going to bring you back to Israel. I've scattered you to the four winds, but I will bring you back. And let me be very, very clear. He did not bring God's people back to Israel in order to give them a geographic, political, military country. That was not the purpose. God was at work to say this. I can let it all go. We can lose everything that this earth has to offer. Our, Our homes, our jobs, our families, our livelihood, everything. And I can still bring my will to bear on this world. And I can restore anything. And I guarantee you, when that Babylonian army marched out of Jerusalem with all those people, there was no hope in the land. It looked completely over. And God says, I'm not done. And just to prove to you the extent of my will... I'm going to bring you all back at some point. And we're going to restore this thing, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But not not so that you have a country, but because I have a will that will be fulfilled, and the end of that will will be the hope of mankind. And so God knew that for the Messiah to come, Israel would have to be restored. You cannot have biblical Israel without an altar where sacrifices are made. It's not possible. It's not biblical Israel if there's not an altar where sacrifices are being made. And so God says, I'll bring it all back because I'm going somewhere with this. My will will be manifest and nothing can stop it. Even the total despair that you find yourself in now cannot hold back my will. And so he says, give me 70 years and I'm going to reverse these poles. I'm going to bring you back. We will rebuild the temple and the altar will be in place. And then I will fulfill my word and I will send my son who will serve 
as the ultimate sacrifice, the final lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, to consummate my word, to fulfill my promise, to guarantee forgiveness and grace eternal for mankind. And so God did that. He brought Israel back. They rebuilt the temple a couple of times, actually. And then Christ came. And when he laid down his life, the need for those sacrifices ended. And in 70 AD, by God's providence and will, the Roman army did to Jerusalem what not even the Babylonians could do. Permanently ended the altar of sacrifice in Israel. Because you, the book of Romans tells us, are the Israel of God. You are it. You are the presence of Christ on earth. You are where God sits on his throne. The Holy Spirit resides within us as his church, and we never need that altar again because the sacrifice has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so we turn to God in the midst of confusing and difficult circumstances we don't want to be in and we trust him in the midst of them and ultimately we are always called to pray our way through whatever life brings and this is ultimately where this passage sort of comes back to this idea of of walking the dog and practicing our faith through prayer on a daily basis exercising what it has been what has been deposited within us we're called to seek him to know that he will listen because he always as we have seen fulfills his word and hangs all of our hopes on his sovereign will we're to seek him because we know he will listen and jeremiah reminds us that he is after our hearts <clears throat> Okay. How forthcoming are you with what's really in your heart? Not very. Not if you're like me, anyway. I don't want you to know what I'm thinking, right? Because you would probably lose respect for me or be insulted or um, who knows, right? And so we guard what's in our hearts. We put little walls around it. We dress it up. We make it look nice. We make it smell pretty. Um, but we don't, there are a few of us who are, there are a few spirits in this world who are just like out there with it all, right? You've met one or two of them in your life probably. Um, <clears throat> But Jeremiah reminds us that God is after what is way, way down at the depth of our hearts. Um, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart.
that God who orchestrated history to bring, to scatter his people, bring them back, fulfill his word through the gift of his son, and then exploded the whole thing again. That God is after what's in the bottom of our hearts. He wants it. He wants to take it from us so we don't have to live in shame or fear or guilt. And he wants to nail it to the cross and take it away. And we are to seek him in prayer, to drill down to the core of who we are, knowing that he will listen and that he actually wants what is deep inside of us. We're to pray our way through life, seeking him and finding him. That's probably the most amazing part of this whole thing. That God says, not only am I this sovereign, that I can do whatever I want, that I can allow the worst of circumstances to transpire in life, and I can still restore, I can still redeem, I can still effect my will. Not only am I all that, but you can know me. You can open your heart to me through prayer and you can find me present in your life, no matter how good or how bad your circumstances may be. And so, Jeremiah reminds us to seek God and to find God. And finding God means two things. It means reconciliation between our souls and God. Did you hear him say that? Um, You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore. I'll just leave it there for a second. There's the reconciliation of our relationship with God. The fact that this sovereign being is also love in its purest form. And he has made a way through his son for us to be reconciled to him, to have life in the face of despair. We're reconciled into our relationship with God. And the other thing that happens when we find God is restoration. And don't don't sell these words short. I'll, I'll try to explain what I mean. God says in verse 14, I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Do not limit the restoration of God to wealth or geography or anything else of this world. We've already sort of 
explained what he was after. It wasn't the restoration of a political state. It was the fulfillment of his eternal word through the promise of his coming Messiah. And that is the ultimate restoration which we are called into when we're called to pray and find the God who loves us. This restoration of our lives from the devastation of sin because we find forgiveness, atonement, healing, cleansing, peace with God. All all of these things transcend our geographical circumstances. And God is always pointing beyond the here and the obvious to that which is eternal and ultimately powerful enough to overcome anything that life puts in front of it. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word. We thank you that you stop at nothing to bring about the fulfillment of your promises. And Lord, that ultimately that fulfillment brings about our reconciliation to you through Jesus Christ and the restoration of our souls that we might look up and see a God who loves smiling down upon us and reminding us of his forgiveness and grace eternal. Lord, lift our heads and draw us to you each and every day that we might learn more fully what it means to pray to seek you, to find you, to know you. These things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.